In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are working our way through the second half of Paul's letter to the Romans this summer, uncovering some of the parallels between the early church's situation in life and ours. We've noted that Rome and Rochester are both large, diverse cultural centers, which share a significant number of social issues, like our inherent cultural biases, a great divide between rich and poor citizens, and a justice system in which all people are not treated equally or well at all. Paul jam-packed the eighth chapter of this letter with important theological ideas. I preached a sermon series on Romans 8, and I think I preached five or six or more sermons on it alone. And Romans 8.28, the verse I highlighted earlier, provides ample grist for our thought mills today. While I regularly see Romans 8.28 moments all around me, I also contend that it stands as one of the most misused verses in God's good word. Paul makes a bold and profound statement about God's eternal purposes in this sentence. But Christians through the ages have employed these words in ways that shortchange the depth of meaning in them. I'd like to spend a few moments this morning considering what these verses, this verse is not, is not, and then what I believe it is for us as we travel through these uneasy times in our world. First, what Romans 8:28 is not. This verse-long sentence does not provide us with a one-size-fits-all phrase to use when we face tragedy, ours or that suffered by others. I will admit that I have stood in funeral home greeting lines and eavesdropped on, eavesdropped on conversations with survivors of loss. What do I often hear comforters say? We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purposes. While I affirm the absolute accuracy of those words, their veracity oftentimes cannot be comprehended in a season of shock that accompanies fresh tragedy. Often, only with the passing of time can the nebulous silver strand of God's purposes be discerned in the dark cloud of calamity. Often, never. The verse is usually recited not for the benefit of the mourner, but rather for the speaker who can't quite figure out what else to say. What should one say? How about, I'm sorry for your loss. 
Do you need dinner next week? Much more appropriate. Neither does Romans 8.28 outline a concept of God that simply asserts, because the Holy One is beyond, is beyond human comprehension, we need to take what we get in life and trust that it will all work out for our good. Yes, God is beyond our human comprehension. Praise the Lord for that. But that doesn't excuse us from trying to figure out what God, figure out how God is at work in tragedies and pandemics. God is God, I affirm that. And God could remove every last bit of independence from us, turning us into perfect little robots who simply motor through life's motions. But no. God is so much more loving and gracious than that. We are wonderfully and fearfully made in God's own image to walk, to talk, to argue with God as we journey across the face of the earth. And God does not simply cause trouble for us to see how strong we are and how, how we will grow through it. We humans are perfectly capable of causing problems for ourselves without God's help. And in every case, God is at work, I believe, for our good. Which leads me to share what I believe this verse is related to that last thought. It is a certain promise of God's abiding presence in every time and experience in our lives. Paul has already pointed out the obvious in the earlier chapters of his letter. We humans are enmeshed in a realm of sin. That is, we exist in a mixed environment with good and bad stuff all around us. We cannot avoid being touched and tainted by both realities. Claiming to be a Christian doesn't automatically clothe us with adequate personal protective equipment to shield us from the ill effects of our world. It does assure us, it does assure us that we never walk life's way by ourselves, even the darkest places, even the valley, the shadow of death even death. God meets us, weeps with us, wanders aimlessly with us if necessary, if necessary, and hangs with us long enough to redeem even our bleakest moments. The efficacy of that promise can seldom be known in real time. Only by wrestling with and enduring the brutal realities of life as it is. My go-to example for this is Professor Gerald Sitzer, a fellow Hope College alum and just retired professor at Presbyterian-related Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. In 1991, Sitzer lost his wife 
mom and daughter, in an auto accident involving a drunk driver. I have no inside knowledge. I wasn't there at the time. But I suspect, I suspect, someone whispered the words of Romans 8.28 in his ear, trying to make sense of a senseless situation. Sitzer, I don't know him personally, but I've read many of his writings. Sitzer is a man of dignity. I also imagine that he graciously received the ill-advised intentions of his would-be comforter. In due time, he wrote magnificently about that particular descent into hell. And here's just a taste of his thinking. Sitter says, my sister told me that the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. I discovered that in that moment that I had the power to choose the direction my life would head. Would head. Even if, the only, even if the only choice open to me, at least initially, was either to run from the loss or to face it the best I could. Since I knew that darkness was inevitable and unavoidable, I decided from that point on to walk into the darkness rather than to try to outrun it. To let my experience of loss take me on a journey wherever it would lead and to allow myself to be transformed by my suffering rather than to think I could somehow avoid it. I chose to turn toward the pain, however falteringly, and to yield to the loss. Though I had no idea at that time what that would mean. Looking back, looking back, Sitzer concludes that Romans 8.28 rings true, not because of how God worked in the drunk, drunken intruder in his life, but even though, even though, yay, though, the King James Version says, even though he and his family absorbed as gut-wrenching a punch as one could imagine receiving. Given a magic wand, Sitzer would have chosen a different outcome. And by grace, out of the darkness they endured, lightness and life reemerged. In time, in time. Oh, the weather's been mostly delightful. But these are dark days. I stated in a recent Z note that I have been generally less affected by COVID 19 than many, but not unaffected. I live a solitary life by design 
But journeying to see family last week only to remain two arm's lengths removed from them, as I have since February, breaks even a stoic Dutchman's heart. Still, my pain shrinks in comparison with the lost lives and livelihoods of now millions of others in our world. Of Some of you. And now I stand to try to make sense of this misused verse. All things? All things? Are you kidding me? This thing? I'm not suggesting that you slap a smile on your face and pretend that life is all lilac-y. Rather, to grimace with as much grit as you can muster, clinging to the now-shrouded hope of that ancient promise, which in hindsight has proven to be true time after time through the ages. And amazing Romans 8 28 moments are still happening if we are opening to, if we are open to see them just this past friday two npr stories touched my ears and heart in one a man sentenced to life plus a thousand plus years kind of a long time isn't it in uh, for a relatively minor third strike drug offense was sent home because of COVID-19. Whether the man deserved the sentence or not, he was released to his family. Legislators in his state, the state with the first or the second highest incarceration rate in the country, I won't name the state unless one, in case one of you is from there, Legislators in his state even suggested that maybe they had gone too far in their punishing fervor, thoughts that they would not have raised except for COVID-19. In another story, a five-year-old girl, a mustard seed, a maple seed, a five-year-old girl decided to give her tooth fairy money, five dollars, to the Oakland Zoo, which was facing bankruptcy. She then began an on online fundraising event, as many of you do, seeking to raise $250 more for the zoo. She raised $250,000. because of COVID-19. Not finished yet, being a five-year-old, she lost another tooth, and the zoo got another $5. Doesn't make an awful situation better, but God is still at work, even in these times. All things, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. I'm in no way suggesting that you need to feel all peachy and keen because you listened to my ramblings this morning. Only to keep looking and hoping that this promise, still true, 
will work itself out in our lives. In due time. Hurry up, God. Is an okay prayer? And to be sure to note that while life is far from all roses, sweet-smelling blooms can still be sniffed. Thanks be to God. Amen.